morning, church family. It's really cool to worship with you. Can I just say that? I really love doing that. And it's such an honor. I just uh, sit back with friends saying glory to God. And it's just great to look around and people raising up their voices to say that God should be glorified. That that's uh, what we live for as a church and as individuals. So uh, thanks for worshiping with me this morning. We get to do some more of it a little bit later. Actually, this is a form of worship. Thinking about God's word and responding to it. I would love for you to open your Bibles as we uh, begin our thinking to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're looking at two major passages in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 8 and Deuteronomy 15. I think if you didn't bring your Bible and you're using one of the pews, it's on page 152, or you can just plug it into your phone and open it right up in your phone. We've been in a series on wealth, poverty, and the kingdom. And uh, this morning, I hope that the words of God's uh, God, rich encouragement to you would be challenging and stimulating and thought-provoking for you. Last week, Pastor Nate referenced uh, in his message a phrase that Jesus uttered um, and that people have misconstrued. They not fully understood what Jesus was saying. So I wanted to return that before we get into Deuteronomy The phrase is found in Matthew chapter 26. And the phrase was, uh, Jesus said, well, we're always going to have the poor with us. The question is, what kind of context did Jesus say that in? And what was he communicating? So let me go there first. Then we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. So this is from Matthew 26. Jesus was uh, in the middle of spending time with disciples. Uh, This event happened in Bethany at the house of a man named Simon who had struggled with leprosy. And uh, that was part of his identity. People knew him as a man who had walked through that challenge, that physical challenge. And there, there's a gathering of people around Jesus. And a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Now, that might seem odd to you that she would do something like that. But God had prompted her to do this. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? Like, why are you wasting that on Jesus? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? Like, what you just said was offensive and hurtful for her and the act that she did. For she's done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you. But you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it, prepare me for burial. So it happened just before Jesus was to go to the cross for our sin, to pay the price for our sin, and then to be buried three days and arise from the dead. So what she did, prompting by God's Spirit, was actually an act of worship. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. There's context, of course, to Jesus' statement of saying, you're always going to have the poor with you. First of all, you can never do enough for Jesus, right? Can we just get that straight? Like, no offering you can give him actually is going to pay sufficiently for his great love for you, for him dying on the cross for you. So whenever you choose to give a a gift to Jesus, that's good. But um, they were troubled because of the poor, and Jesus responds that we're always going to have the poor with us. Now, what's he saying? It's got context, as words do. First of all, the Gospels all tell us that Jesus was sent to preach the gospel to 
the poor. Like a key portion of what he was about was directed to the people who were in poverty, who could hear the words of truth spoken to him, and they longed to hear it. And so Jesus' message was there. He had also been discipling these disciples, like helping them understand what's the heart of God like. And they had often heard and seen in Jesus' acts, acts of compassion and mercy and care for those in poverty. And as well, Jesus is referencing the Old Testament, uh, a statement in the Old Testament that we're going to get to that's found in Deuteronomy. Now, just a little context about Deuteronomy, which is primarily a series of messages given by Moses. And it can be seen in a couple lenses. If you've never studied the book of Deuteronomy or if you have and um, just need a refresher course, first, it's a little bit like a treaty. It's a lot of the language is in treaty form between a sovereign, God himself, and his subjects. That would be us. It's also um, Moses' commentary and explanation of the covenant. That is a holy, sacred agreement between God Most High and his people whom he loves, you and I. So it's a covenant. And it's also Israel's constitution. So think of it in that term a little bit. It defined their social order and the legal principles and the covenant of life that God's people were supposed to live in. For us, the reason why it's so significant is that it shows us the unchanging character and heart of God. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, I turn your attention there. It has these two themes, the nature of the relationship between God and his people And the second theme, how God empowers and protects segments of the population most vulnerable to abuse. Those are the two major themes in the book of Deuteronomy. And here in chapter 8, Moses is reflecting on the wilderness experience. And it addresses the posture of my heart. The posture of my heart. Verse 1. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart and whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You might have heard that phrase before. That man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so Moses is saying, the whole wilderness experience. Now, if you're not familiar with what happened, they, they fled from Egypt. They went to the promised land. They had one test and they failed the test. They couldn't trust God at his word, right? And they got afraid and they became cowards and they didn't place their faith in God. And as a result, they wandered around. For a generation in the wilderness. Now, if you've never been to the wilderness area, it's, it's a barren place. And for 40 years, they were there. And God said, that wasn't a waste. I actually am doing things in you as a people. I'm going to create something in your character that's fundamental. And every day, the people who were starving had to turn to God for this thing that their dads didn't know about, right? This text says, They didn't know about this thing called manna. 
And in giving manna to the people every day, they'd have to turn for that. They couldn't, like, hoard extra manna, if you know the story a bit. Um, They would have to declare their dependence on God every day. Think about that for a moment. Wouldn't that be good, in a sense, for you to be reminded physically, tangibly, that every day that you have to depend on God, not your stuff, not other things that you might have around you. And that's their experience. And then the word says, your clothing did not wear out on you, and your, your foot did not swell these 40 days. A lot of walking. Know then that your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord God disciplines you. He was shaping his children in the wilderness. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him so that you would turn your attention to God. The wilderness experience for Israel was formational. It prepared them for what was to come. It taught them lessons of character. And first and foremost, that lesson that God was teaching was dependence on the Lord is foundational. And we need him. And if you've never actually considered that deeply, let me encourage you strongly today You do not take a breath, according to God's word, without him. You don't have one thing in your life without him. We were all made dependent, wholly dependent, not partially dependent, but wholly dependent on the Lord God. And he is the one that we need above all other things. We need him. And that's the lesson that these people were learning Day after day, for 40 years, God was teaching that and shaping corporately them as a nation and individually, personally, he was shaping them. See, we can so easily become full of pride in our self-sufficiency, our seeming self-sufficiently, can't we? But the reality of Scripture is telling us that none of us are self-sufficient. That's a lie from the evil one. We're not self-sufficient. We're wholly dependent creatures on God. Jesus summed it up this way in John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You're dependent, and I'm going to give you freely. This is the message that we preach of the gospel. God's great grace. I'm totally dependent. It starts there. And you cannot have life without coming there. You can't have a relationship with God unless you say, I need you. Like, I need you completely, wholly. I need to depend on you and place my faith in you. When you come to that place, that's the first step of a person's relationship with God. And he makes you his child. He forgives you of sin. He cleanses you. And he breathes life into you now and into eternity. But you have to come to that place first of owning your dependence on him. And that's why it's pressed here in the covenant, the very first of the covenant. Deuteronomy 8 continues with this challenge, starting in verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, out of whose hills you can dig copper, 
And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now, there's beauty in the covenant, and part of the beauty is this, that God, whom we need wholly and need to depend on, loves to give good gifts. He loves to bless. And that's really the story of the gospel, that I am wrecked without God, and he gives the best gift possible, his grace and forgiveness to me through Jesus Christ. And I can have life in him. This is the message of the gospel, that I'm dependent, and then he gives his great grace. And the wonderful part about God's enduring character is that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here in the covenant, he was teaching them that the Lord's provisions for us are good. They're really good. Think about all the blessings you have in your life. They're the good blessings of God. And they encourage us to live as a blessing. The text says, verse 10, And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Turn back to him and say your gratitude to him, and then live as a blessing. That's what we'll discover later on in the covenant, that we are to live in response to the blessing of God as a blessing to others. It's really actually easy to see the first part of that statement, if you step back and, sit and think about all the God's goodness in your life. But the second part is the difficult one, right? How do I live out in response to the blessing of God to be a blessing to others? Moses is, in effect, saying, man, are the provisions of God sweet? Aren't they? So what are you going to do about it? How, how are you going to respond to the blessings of God? Which is a great question. Moses then says, verse 11, Take care that you, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the houses of slavery. Now Moses is going to get specific. Who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness and through it with its fiery serpents and scorpions and the thirsty ground where there was no water. Who brought you water out of the flinty rock? Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know and then he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end? Beware. Lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord God makes to perish before you, you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. It's a powerful message, isn't it? Never forget who gave you all that you have. Don't forget it. Everything that you have is a blessing from God's hand. Don't forget. Don't forget. And if you do, the consequences are death. It's deadly to forget. 
because you will shrivel up and die from a lack of gratitude. It was essential for those who had learned the hard lessons of dependence and God's provision forged in the wilderness to keep those lessons in front of them, to keep remembering how good God is, how good his provisions are, how much they depended on him, and how they were to respond to his goodness. The fundamental lesson here raised in chapter 8 is about the posture of our heart. And here's why it's so significant. The posture of our heart for God is the foundation for any eternally impactful social action. Like, there are all kinds of appeals that we all get every week to be engaged. It has to start with a tender heart toward God in order for it to last. I need to be listening to the Lord and stepping in where he has called me and doing things that will last eternally. And if the posture of my heart is messed up, and I'm not doing it out of response to the blessing of God, but I'm doing it out of guilt, or I'm just doing it to be philanthropic like everybody else is philanthropic, then I'm going to miss the point. I live to be a blessing because I've received God's blessing. I live to be a blessing in the lives of other people. Thankfully, Moses doesn't just end here about with the foundation. He actually gives legs to the covenant, and you'll see some of that in Deuteronomy 15. So I want to turn your attention now to Deuteronomy chapter 15, which really addresses the practice of my heart. The posture of my heart is soft toward God, dependent on him, understanding that I need to seek him, be thankful to him, live my life as a blessing. Now he addresses the practice of the heart. And he does that in a corporate way and a personal way. So, starting in verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release that he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner you may exact it, but whatever is yours is with your brother, your hand shall release it. But there will be no poor among you. Now this is the covenant, God's agreement, God's statement, is if you follow my commands, and if you live this out, it will lead to the alleviation of poverty. That's, that's powerful, right? That's probably a powerful statement. There will be no poor among you, For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commands that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. Now, those are fascinating instructions, aren't they? God instituted for his people a season in their history where they should have this unique economic system. And the reason why he gave it is so they would be a blessing to the nations. That was the reason behind the covenant, that God's people would be a blessing to the nations. Actually, it still is. We live to be a blessing to the nations, right? To bring the gospel of God's grace and his love to the nations. And here, Israel is, is being helped to understand a system whereby 
they could address the issues of poverty. And there's a principle behind it that our actions, if we listen to the voice of God here specifically in this system, it was about fresh starts, mercy, and trust in his provisions. That is, he's telling his people through this system, intentionally pursue fresh starts, mercy, and trust in his provisions. Now, the structures there for the covenant people was every seven years, everybody gets a fresh start. There's no debt. Everyone starts again. Now, notice how living out this covenant was not just personal. It was corporate for all of God's people. God is institutionalizing grace, generosity, and mercy. Isn't that fascinating? It's really interesting, I think. And it sought to get at this major factor that perpetuated poverty, personal debt. It broke that system. And every seven years, those who were in debt were given a new start. Now, before you start panicking and thinking that I'm here advocating socialism, that's not what's going on here, okay? What's at the heart of God's plan is generosity and grace. Generosity and grace, not some kind of socialism. And there's, there really is no perfect economic system this side of heaven. But Scripture is teaching us that some responses to systemic poverty are closer to God's heart than others. Additionally, he's addressing the needs of poverty systemically because systems matter to God. And it ought to get us thinking about that. The covenant promises that if his people would follow his counsel, they would experience the alleviation of poverty, which is consistent with the, the obedience, blessing, connection of the covenant. And that raises fascinating questions, I think, for us who yearn to follow Jesus and to love people like he does. Why did God implement this system, and what's at the heart of his plan? Years ago, I was having a discussion with one of my mentors. He was a man who was a couple generations older than I am, and uh, we were serving together at this food bank. We were serving the poor um, food and hanging out and just trying to figure out how to best be a blessing to them. And we were having this dialogue about all the approaches that we could come and flesh this out in our present system. And what we came to the heart of it was, I have to be engaged in this issue because it's so close to the heart of God. And I have to be thoughtful about how I step into it. And I, I need to think about how I engage. Is my heart really connected to what matters for God, the poor? So let me give you an inventory just to check your own heart. You don't have to raise your hand. In fact, don't do that, okay? Just check yourself on how you align to the heart of God this morning, okay? So a couple questions for you to think about. Does poverty matter to you in a way that clearly affected the way you made decisions this week? Does it matter to you in a way that clearly affected the way you made decisions this week? Second, is your approach to poverty characterized by generosity? Not frustration or anger, but by generosity. Third, is the alleviation of a prime component of poverty, debt, a priority for you? 
By the way, if you, uh, if you need encouragement that direction, we teach a class called Financial Peace around here that addresses that particular issue, and it's really helpful. Fourth, is your response to those in poverty genuinely reflecting God's heart to be a blessing? That is, are you living out in response to poverty a desire to be a blessing to people? And fifth, what is your personal response to poverty presently costing you? That's a challenging question, isn't it? What's it presently costing you? Now, take a breath. Again, this is not about beating you up or about guilt. It's just inventory, how we're doing, aligning to God's heart and his blessings in our life. We'll continue in Deuteronomy 15, starting verse 7. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on the poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and the poor in your land. Now, notice that Moses just raised this interesting dichotomy. He said, if you follow the Lord wholeheartedly and his commands, there's not going to be any poor in the land. But here's the reality. There's poor in the land. There's poor people around you because we, we struggle with our sinfulness raises the highest ideal, that is, the absence of poverty, and it legislates for the sinfulness of humanity, our selfishness, our bent toward exploitation, and our poor decision-making. So, in this context, he presses out this all-important, non-negotiable spiritual principle for those who would follow Jesus. We must pursue open hearts and hands. Can't get greedy and grudging, we have to step in. And if that's not enough, and you think, this is just Old Testament stuff, Ron, right? It's Old Covenant. Um, You probably haven't read the book of James, right? James is super clear and practical on this. James 2, 14 through 16 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of, them says to, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? It's no good, right? Now, just a caution here. Again, this is not about propelling you through guilt. It's helping us align our hearts to the heart of God. And why it matters to him. And the language Moses uses of hands is pointing toward those who have power and the means to do something about poverty. And it gets at all of our sneaky selfishness. 
right, our reflex to grip on to the stuff that we think is ours and is not his. But the wording here in Scripture, it's not optional. It's a command from God. Open up your hands and invest in the poor. It's pretty simple and straightforward. So how are you doing on that front? I need to ask. I'd like to give you another inventory, but before we get there, um, again, let me stress, our response to poverty can't be driven out of guilt or because it's simply a fad. It has to be birthed out of our gratitude toward God for the blessings we have in our life and the desire to be a blessing, to step in to be a blessing because he's been a blessing for us. So let me ask another inventory, a couple questions for you to kind of measure yourself. First, have I actually become hard-hearted toward the poor? What's causing that? Could you honestly just kind of reflect about how you responded to the issue of poverty this week and then ask you, what's causing my reflection that way or my reaction? Second, is my concern for poverty and the poor actually expressed in sufficient practical care? Is it expressed? Third, are my heart and hands habitually opened? Or do I like get motivated and give and then, then struggle and get a closed fist? And finally, when responding to poverty, do I err on the side of generosity? Are you going to be taken advantage of? Absolutely, of course. Does that matter to God and his word? No, it was his stuff in the first place. It wasn't your stuff, right? Open your hand and get generous is the message. I know how, um, how easy it is for me in this reflex to start getting a closed hand. And about um, 15 years ago, I, rec- I recognized that. I was con- really convicted about it, that I would go through seasons of generosity and then seasons where I was being selfish and greedy. And I recognized that I needed a habit, a spiritual discipline in my life where I would habitually step in to situations where I was developing a relationship with people in poverty who would personalize it and also understand that I had a lot of lessons to learn from them and that I would not remove myself, that I would actually intentionally go there and figure it out. Now, I don't want to give you a legalistic set of things to do, so I'm not going to. But I'm going to give you some options, ways that you can step in to God's calling in your life and actually start living out care for people who are in poverty. And I'd like you to consider some avenues of practice. First, it starts here. If you've never given your heart over to God, who made you in the first place, you need to start there. You need actually to turn in conversation with God and get honest with him and say, I need you. If you're never able to get to that step, you won't get to the next step, which is actually to live a life of blessing to other people. You have to get to that step where you own your own dependence on God and seek him for life. And just to get honest with him and lay your life before him and say, I want to give you all that I have because it's all from you in the first place and I need you. I need relationship with you. I need your forgiveness. I need life from you. And when you do that, you then become new in him. You become a new child. And you can step in 
as a reflex to be a blessing to others. Now let me get practical. There are a lot of means that we have, tools that you can use to practice generosity and concern, care for those that are in poverty. One of them um, we have here that we're highly invested in is called Compassion Network. If you go to the website sometime today, you can look on our website and you can connect to something called the eBlast. The eBlast is a tool that Compassion Network uses for those people who have needs in our community and for those people who follow Jesus, and it connects them. You can look at the list and say, wow, I could, ha- I could step in with that. And you could connect with somebody and start practicing relationship with them. Let them know that you're there because God's been a blessing to you and you want to be a blessing to them and, and listen to their need and step in and help. So you can do that, and you can, it, it won't force you. It won't say, hey, you haven't volunteered for the last 15 years. You know? It'll just say, um, here's the opportunities, and you can connect. So the e-blast, you can get it on our website. Second, um, have you ever been approached by somebody at a market or seen somebody with signs out and wondered, what should I do? Can I encourage you not to give money? That's rarely what needs to happen most. I want to encourage you to stop and engage that person in conversation and just seek out what the Lord wants you to do in that moment. If he wants you to get them food, invite them for food. If that's not the best option, we have cards right outside of the information table. I want you to grab one of those cards from Compassion Network and invite them over to Compassion Network. At Compassion Network, people, staff, there are staff there that we help fund here in Bridges. And they will sit down with them and say, here are all the things that um, are options for you to get help. Here are all the avenues of care for you. And here are the next best steps for you. And they do that in the name of Jesus with a lot of insight that we don't, you don't all have. You know, we don't all have that information of what all social services are available and what are all ministries of the churches that are available. And it gives that to the people. It makes it available. And it does that in a relationship that's wrapped around Christ. So you can grab a card afterwards, and you can just, next time that happens, say, oh, I've got this great place that I want you to go to. Have you ever connected with Compassion Network? Third, I know that there's a growing group of our body that's connected to the food bank, and I would encourage you to, um, if that's something that lights your fire, that's fantastic. Um, The food bank services over 6,000 people a month in our city. It's right here in Fremont. And I know Carl serves there. There's a whole group of people here that serve over there and it will connect you to a different uh, demographic in our area that you can just love on in the name of Jesus. And there are places to volunteer. Actually, you can connect with them over um, the impact day if you want to, coming up this next Saturday. There are other options like abode, which is, which is housing, short-term housing for people in need. There are a whole list of avenues available to you. If you have questions, please see Pastor Nate or anybody else on staff. We'd love to connect you. The point is not um, to lay a bunch of stuff for you to do or to be legalistic. It's a, there are some options, some tools for you to live out compassion around you that you could step into. You could also step into Houston. We have a team that's going there soon. Pastor Nate's got some details about that. And right after the service, there'll be a group of people in the overflow room that are talking about how we can care for Houston. Many of you have asked how we can step into those other needs like Puerto Rico or the Keys and uh, the FCA. 
Free Church is highly vested in the work there. So if you want avenues to, to do that, if God's pressing that on your heart. And certainly what's happening in Northern California, right, in Santa Rosa and the extended area there, there's a group of people that are vested in there. And we would love to connect you with that kind of ministry. We have a place on our website that you can connect with. And there's one more place I want to just highlight. It's Redwood Gospel Mission that you could connect. Um, it, it's connecting a bunch of the churches there in Santa Rosa that are actually going to step in as the second and third response. You know, right now we've got first responders there. You can't go in and, like, give them a card of anything. And there's, they've been overwhelmed with stuff, but it's not necessarily strategic giving. What we want to do is be strategically meeting the need over the course of the next few years there, right, with people. And uh, the local churches are really, and this has been the hand of God, have connected in a way that they've never before done in Santa Rosa, and um, they could be a great tool for the gospel. So let me direct you that direction. And finally, you could just adopt a kid, right? Um, There are all, all kinds of opportunities to do that through World Vision or Compassion International. Many of you have have that, you know, monthly, you, you help out in that way. Oh, you thought I was going to tell you to really adopt a kid, right? Well, you could do that too, right? I have um, these neighbors we had in Michigan we really loved, and they really felt like, okay, God is calling us to have compassion. And um, we could, they had two boys. We could add another. So they adopted a child from China. And... Um, Next time I talk to Karen, my friend, she's like, you know what? We just feel like we need to adopt maybe just one more. And they adopted one more. Nine kids later, right? <laughs> I've got this household of kids, and um, they're living out the compassion of the Lord in very practical ways, right? Every moment of their day. Here's the point. We live to be a blessing. And we live to be a blessing in response to God. In response to his great blessing for us. So let me encourage you strongly to step into that. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the huge blessing of being yours, of of your great generosity toward us. And for all these things, for carving in us, on our character, so that we might know that we depend on you and you have been so good to us. And you want us to live as a blessing so people might know your great love. Help us to do that. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.